Well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 6. For those of you that are new to Sovereign Grace, we are presently in the Gospel of Luke, a wonderful gospel that shows us so much about Jesus, about the world, about ourselves. And we are right now looking at the, looking in the Gospel of Luke at the Sermon on the Level, a moment where Jesus gathers his apostles, the 12 disciples he's particularly chosen, on which he's going to build the church, other disciples around them, and then great crowds around them from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond. And Jesus is talking to them very specifically about the kingdom of God, just how upside down it is. And therefore, as we walk in it and follow him, it's just very different to what we would naturally expect. This is the final part of his sermon. Then we're going to read Luke chapter six, verses 43 to 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, but the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the stream broke against it. Immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. If you want a title for today's message, I've got it, Bearing Fruit and Building Strong. And let's just pray before we get into this together. Lord, we do pray that you would help us this morning. Lord, would this word, as has already been prayed, would it be like honey to our lips and nectar to our souls? Lord, I thank you that as we gather around your word today, we gather around your word. The word of Jesus himself, Lord, would it be as if we are sitting on this field with you today, hearing your words, seeing your face, hearing your direction. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You know, a little while ago, I was passed over a YouTube clip, and it was a YouTube clip that was all about some amazing sculptures. Now, I don't usually think a lot of sculptures, but because I was past it, I thought I would play it. And I played it, and they were amazing sculptures. There were different sculptures of people's faces, of animals, of outdoor scenes, and you could see them all face on. And as I looked at them, they, they were incredible. They were, they were done with such detail and such precision. They were really great to look at. And yet, as the camera got closer and then went around the sculptures, It was then when they really became alive. You see, as the camera went closer, you started to see that these sculptures weren't just sculptured out of wood or metal or anything else. No, they were actually just pieces of refuse. They were people, the things that had been thrown out in council pickups or put into trash cans. And they were actually put together to make these faces in these animals. It was was amazing in the way they'd done it. And then when the camel went round the side, you realize that these sculptures weren't just one dimensional. They were actually some of them the width of an entire room. 
and they'd been hung and suspended at different heights and angles. So at the front, it looked like a great picture. But round the side, you just realized they had such depth to them. You know, what I initially thought of was a good sculpture became a truly amazing and incredible sculpture when you got close and when you looked round the side. These sculptures were so different to what they first seemed to be. But the more you stared at them and the more you examined it, the more you realized how incredible they really were. And the kingdom of God, as we've seen over the last three weeks, I think is exactly like that. It is so much more, so much more than what it first seems to be. See, just a few weeks ago, then we saw the start of Jesus's message, the start of this Sermon on the Plain. And he started to encounter for us and pull the curtain back for us all about blessings and woes. Things in this kingdom that will bring us joy and gladness and contentment and things that we should therefore woe against. We should make sure that aren't a part of us. He warns us against certain things. And so he helps us see that this kingdom of God is totally different from the kingdom of the world. That which will bring us joy and gladness and contentment is different than in the kingdom of God. For we're not going to find joy then in independence. We're going to find great great joy in total dependence upon God. For apart from him, we can do nothing. So it isn't independence that brings true maturity and joy. It is dependence upon the Lord that brings that joy. And this kingdom of God is not self-atonement then that will bring true gladness. It's poverty of soul. It's understanding there's just two things I know, as Mr. Newton told us. I am a great sinner and I have a great savior. It's not about trying to impress God then and trying to self atone for our sin. No, it's understanding Jesus has paid it all for us. And the more we see our poverty, the more we will delight them in this great grace of salvation. What will satisfy us in this kingdom then is not external things. It's not stuff out there that we need to just get. If only I get this, I'll be satisfied. No, Jesus makes it clear. What will bring true satisfaction is feeding on him. It's sitting at his feet and spending time with him and his word and in prayer and in song. It's that that will delight our souls. What will bring joy and gladness and contentment is not, as he goes on to tell us, then found in embracing the world. Treating this world as home and just enjoying all laughter here as if that's all there is. No, it's understanding that people even now are in their orange jumpsuits. They're running away from the Lord and therefore we should appropriately weep over the world at different times. Be affected to the core of who we really are. And we shouldn't therefore expect just total and utter acceptance from the world. No, we should rightly expect opposition. We will be hated at different times and excluded at different times and reviled at different times and spurned at different times. But Jesus takes great pain to help us see not a moment of that will go unnoticed by him. And one day when we see his face, we will be rewarded for all eternity for what we have done here. See, in this kingdom of God, there is great joy, there is great gladness, there is great contentment. But that gladness and joy and contentment is found totally upside down to what the world claims to offer us. There is joy now and there is joy forevermore in the kingdom of God. But it looks so different to what we would initially think. And then, as we saw just last week, the way we behave then as Christians, as his followers, again, It's very different to the world. 
Our disposition towards others is called by God to be very different to that which the world recommends. And so we're called by the grace of God, as we saw last week, to love our enemies. We're not to go with the world's stock and trade of revenge and retaliation and escalation. No, we're to turn the other cheek. We're to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us and bless those who curse us and pray for those who abuse us. We have the wonderful opportunity in our through our lives to imitate God and to display mercy and kindness and grace on others, even when we're wronged and even when we're opposed. And secondarily, we're called to judge others charitably at all times, not to think the worst and assume the worst and believe the worst, but to think the best and assume the best and believe the best unless we hear very specifically otherwise. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13 when he talks about love. Love that is patient and kind and does not boast. Love that believes all things, hopes all things, bears with all things. Jesus here is calling us by his grace to operate in that love to all others. Believe the best, hope the best, think the best. And should you need to then get a speck out of their eye, ensure that you don't have a log in your eye smacking them in the face in the process. But instead, do it with grace and and mercy and love. You know, this kingdom of God is so different to the kingdom of the world. And as Jesus brings this sermon into an end, there's one more thing he wants us to understand. And it's this. The call on our lives as his followers to bear good fruit. To ensure that in and through our lives, we're not just walking the walk, but we are walking out of what we have said we are. That by the grace of God and for his glory, there's fruit being born in our lives, having entrusted our life to following him. And having said that we're all in to following him, that our lives would bear fruit in accordance with what we're saying. And we would be a people there, not only of fruit, but of people that would be building our lives into this word and allowing the fruit of that to come out of our lives as a result. Listen, this lesson, as Jesus concludes, is so very important. And so once again, I believe the Lord wants to burn this lesson into us as with a hot iron. He wants it to be a staple of our lives, a foundation point of our entire way of living. And so I have two points this morning to help us unpack this, both from the text. And here's the first, going straight to the point. Number one, as Christ's followers, we are called to bear good fruit. It could not be clearer. It could not be more important. Look with me at verse 43 to 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know, what Jesus is seeking to help us see here, I believe, is the fruit that should come out of our lives as a result of following him. 
the words and deeds that should overflow from our heart as a fruit of truly following him. What he's saying then in a nutshell is this, that where there is real faith, then there should always be real fruit in our life. Where we have truly trusted in Jesus Christ and taken him as our Lord and Savior, literally then our rabbi, of which we become his apprentices. Where that has truly taken place, where we've entrusted our lives to him, then there will inevitably and importantly be real fruit. Where there is real faith, there will always be real fruit. They are the yin and yang of the Christian life. They always go together and they cannot help themselves. See, my friends, it's a clear message in the Bible that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's the only way of salvation. It's to come with him with an absolute poverty of spirit, understanding I can't do this by myself. Paul tells us himself, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It's the scandal of grace. If I confess him as Lord and I believe in my heart that he died for me and rose again for me, then in a very moment, boom, I am saved. It's done. It is finished. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is the only way of salvation. And yet what is also true and what Jesus is seeking to help us see here is that where that faith is real, where we've truly entrusted ourselves to Jesus, then where that faith is real, it will never be alone. It doesn't make sense if I say I love Jesus, I just want to follow Jesus and then go away and do nothing with that ever. No. Where real faith is present, it will bring forward real fruit. It's a fruit of following him and knowing him and loving him and truly want to follow him as our Lord and Savior of our lives. John Piper says it this way, to quote I've used before, but I simply cannot improve upon it. This is what he says. He says, it is by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves, for it is the gift of God. But the heart that is full of faith will always overflow in attitudes and actions very different from those which flow from unbelief. Therefore, our deeds will testify truly to the genuineness or absence of faith. And that reality is in no way inconsistent to us being saved through faith alone. Then he explains. But we must understand that this reality does not mean that we in any way earn our salvation. No, our deeds do not earn. They exhibit our salvation. Our deeds are not the merit of our righteousness. They are the mark of our new life in Christ. And our deeds are not sufficient to deserve God's favor, but they do demonstrate our faith. For we must always keep that distinction clear in our mind regarding our attitudes and actions. Listen, they do not earn, they exhibit. They do not merit they mark they do not deserve they demonstrate oh how well sad that is we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone but where that faith is real it will never be alone it will be exhibited in our life and marked in our life and demonstrated in our lives with fruit 
And those exhibits and those marks and their demonstrations, they never earn our salvation. No, only Christ can earn our salvation. But they do mark it. And they do demonstrate it. And they do exhibit it. Listen, my friends, for all of us as Christians, then, where we have truly put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, this point, I believe, gives us 10,000 reasons to praise. Where good fruit is evidenced in your life, then you really do, I believe, have 10,000 reasons to praise. Why? Here's why. Because that is the fruit of the converted. It's the fruit that comes with genuinely following Jesus and knowing Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And it is the fruit that comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. A deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. It is the most unexpected place to find assurance. But seen correctly, we should find assurance right here because any fruit that is in your life, any evidence of fruit in your life has not come about by yourself. I know you. You are wonderfully kind and nice people. But outside of grace and the presence of Holy Spirit in your life, that would not continue. Outside of the Holy Spirit present, there would be no growth, no fruit, no exhibiting, no demonstration of a life that is following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is the fruit of the converted. It's such a happy and incredible discovery. In Philippians 2 verse 12, Paul calls us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We are called by the grace of God and for the glory of God to work it out, to live in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received, to bear fruit in keeping with our repentance. And we're to work it out in awe and majesty of all he really is. And yet in the very next verse, he says this, Philippians 2 verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, For his good pleasure. I love that. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But in and around that whole thing, encapsulated in the whole thing, is a God who works in our hearts to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that moment when we desire to follow God, that moment when we desire to bear fruit, that moment when we do actually bear fruit in our lives is because the Holy Spirit has been at work in our hearts to will and to work for God's good pleasure. My friends, that's why we can say with Paul in Philippians 1 that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will. But where fruit is present in our lives, it is an expression of the Holy Spirit in our lives, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And so we can be sure of this, that he who began a good work in your heart will carry it on to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the most unexpected place to find assurance, is it not? But seen correctly, I think it should be. This should give us 10,000 reasons to praise as you realize that fruit in my life is not there because of me. It's there because of him. The one who's working and willing in our lives. Those 
feelings that I have, those desires to live for the Lord and be in his word and be with his people, they're not coming from me. They're coming from him. What a wonderful reason we have then to praise, don't you think? It's an evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. It's evidence of our salvation. It's assurance to our souls. And yet if we're honest, I'm sure for all of us, sadly, we know to have people in our lives that we would carry concern over. And I think that's right at times. People where there's been no fruit in their lives. So they say they're a Christian, but for a prolonged period of time, in reality, there has been no fruit in their lives. And that is a concern because from this very same text, we can see that where there is no fruit, then maybe there's no tree. And we have to have a concern then that there could be a danger of false assurance in their heart. They think they're a Christian, but in reality, they're not. And Jesus talks about those people in Matthew chapter 7. He says that some will come to him and say, Lord, Lord. But I will say to them, away from me. I never knew you. People then who have claimed to be Christians, you know, I believe. Well, Jesus says even the demons believe. But people that are walking around thinking, I'm a Christian, I got it. When in reality, they bear no fruit in their lives as well. Listen, just so I'm clear here, I'm not talking about people who struggle with sin. No, we we all do that. Romans chapter 7 makes it clear, you know, why is it that I don't do the things I want to do and the things I want to do I don't do? Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul explaining that the battle of the spirit and the flesh. No, that's very real for all of us. And the very fact that you are in the battle and you're aware of the battle and you want to change is an evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your heart. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where there's no struggle. No fruit. There's some talk about how they became a Christian when they were younger. But over a prolonged period of time, a prolonged period of time, no fruit. They don't talk about Jesus. They don't want to go to church. They don't really want to be with his people. They don't really spend time in his word or have a great desire to. And yet they call themselves a Christian. My friends, I believe we should have a concern for those individuals because where real faith exists, there will always be real fruit. And so how are we meant to be with them? Well, I submit to you, we would do well as friends to pray for them and care for them. Pray for them, carry them in your heart. If you're concerned that as a family member or a friend or an acquaintance that you're aware of that thinks they're a Christian, but from all you can see, they don't potentially seem to be. Pray for them. Start to carry them in your heart that God would break in on their lives. They really would see him for all he is and see themselves for who who they really are and put their faith in him as Lord and Savior. And to help that process, I want to exhort you not just to pray for them, but care for them. Find ways of speaking the truth in love to them. To talk to them about their salvation. Talk to them about where they're at with Jesus. What a sad day it would be, would it not, to get there on that day and hear the Lord say over them, away from me, I never knew you. How kind that he is then that he's put us in their lives right now to pray for them and 
care for them. My friends, we don't want anybody to be walking around with false assurance. No, we want people to have true assurance. And true assurance comes from fruit. Where there is real faith, there will also be real fruit. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No doubt it is all of grace in our lives. But where that faith is real, that faith will never be alone. It will bear fruit. It will exhibit. It will mark. It will demonstrate this great salvation. And for the Christian, oh, how important that is for us to know, isn't it? How important it is for us to know, not just for our own lives, but for the lives of others as well, others that maybe even now we're called to pray for and care for and come alongside. And as Jesus talks to that, talks to us about this reality, as he helps us see that as his followers were called to bear fruit in our lives, there's one more thing he wants us to see is he concludes this sermon and that which will cause our second point today. And it's this point two, as Christ followers, We're called to be doers of his words. As his followers, we're not called to just be hearers of God's word, hearers of the words of Jesus, but doers of his word. Look with me then at verse 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. See, my friends, right up front, we need to understand here. It is so important as Christians that we come to the Lord and hear his words, isn't it? It's so vitally important that as Christians, we hear the words of Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.16 says it this way. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. My friends, the reality of scripture is overwhelming. All scripture is God-breathed, every last bit of it. So if you've got a Bible like me that has red letters written by Jesus, okay, just give you a clue. All the the words are actually red letters. All scripture is God-breathed. From Genesis to Revelation, they're all the words of Jesus. As part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all these words are ultimately breathed out by God. And every word here gives us all we need for life and godliness. If we will rivet ourselves to these words and spend time in these words, we will be complete for every good work. That's why Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Oh, how it is. 
This word brings counsel to our souls of what we are to do in any given situation. Or it helps us to see where we are to get that counsel from so we know what to do in any given situation. It is a light to our feet and a lamp unto our path. And in Psalm 19 verse 7 we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Oh, my friends, this word and this word alone can revive our souls. It can bring joy where there is no joy. It can bring confidence and hope where there is no confidence and hope. It can bring encouragement where we're discouraged. It can bring clarification where we're not sure what to do. It can bring gladness where there is struggling. It can bring laughter where there is sorrow. This word, this word is alive and active and can have a reviving effect on our souls. It can literally bring us to life. Like a defibrillator attached to your body, this word, boom, can bring us alive in the way that it's structured. Because it's God's word. The words of Jesus. The one who's preaching us. From this level in this point, helping us see about the kingdom of God, all these words are his. We can sit under his preaching every day of our lives because it's all here. What a treasure it is. I mean, I just want you to imagine for a moment, by way of bringing this to life some, I just want you to imagine for a moment that you have been born with a visual impairment. You've never seen the world then for as it, really is you've never seen yourself for how you really are and you've never actually seen God for how great he is because everything you've seen in the world up until now has been misshapen and blurred you've never seen things for how they really are and imagine you become aware of that you start to be aware that I I don't think I see as clearly as I thought I did And then a friend or a family member then gives you the gift of glasses and they hand them to you and they put them on your face. Imagine that moment when for the first time you start to see the world for how it really is. You start to see trees and lakes and the sea for how it really is. You start to see people for how they really look. You start to see yourself for who you really are and how you look. And you start to see God for who he is in his majesty and glory as creator, king and Lord of all. Imagine the joy that it would be to put those glasses on your face and see the world and yourself and God with distinct clarity like you'd never seen before. Well, my friends, this word is those glasses. This word is that which brings clarity to our souls. It helps us see the world and ourselves and God for how he really is and who he really is. It is this word that helps us to make sense of a profoundly confusing world. And it's right here in our hands and in our homes. My friends, it is vital then, is it not, that we come and we hear from Jesus. That daily we attach these spectacles to our eyes so that we can see clearly in a world that is often so confusing. And we can see then ourselves and the world for what it really is and see where God is present in it. It's so important that we hear the word. But what Jesus is helping us see here is that just 
hearing his words are not enough. Just listening to him, that alone is not enough. See, if all we do is hear him and go away and do nothing with what we've heard, then he says this about us in verse 49. He says, the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground with a fa- without a foundation. When a stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. He makes it clear that if all we do is hear his words and then go away and don't actually build it into our lives, then here's the challenge with that. When the winds come and the, the oceans rage and the, the storm starts to come, our house collapses. We start to be all over the place and then we're just blown along by the waves and the wind outside because we don't have a structure over our lives anymore. We never took the time to build the foundations. And so when the wind and waves rise up, boom, our house all too quickly falls in. The wind and waves of life, the winds and waves of COVID, the winds and waves of lockdown, you name it. If we're not dug down deep into his word, what is happening outside all of a sudden comes very loud inside as our house begins to disintegrate. If all we do is be hearers of his words, that alone will never be enough. So what is important, Jesus is helping us see here, is not just hearing, but it's doing. Peter David says it this way. He says, no matter how extensive one's scriptural knowledge and how amazing one's memory, it is self-deception if that's all there is. For true knowledge is the prelude to action, and it is our obedience to the word that counts in the end. Isn't that wonderful? He's helping us see that there's a great, and the great is hearing Jesus' words, but there's a greater still, and that greater still is doing his words. See, my friends, when we do the words of Christ, then we would be like what Psalm 1 tells us. As we apply the words of God to our lives, Psalm 1 tells us we will be nourished and refreshed. We'll be stable and durable. We will be flourishing and fruitful in our lives. The psalmist literally tells us as we hear God's words and apply them, we will prosper in all that we do. And when we hear God's word and actually apply them, we will be like the man in James 1. The man who sees himself in the mirror and goes away and makes some changes and is then blessed in his doing. Literally blessed in his doing. Put in a position of joy and gladness and contentment as he applies the very words of God. The Bible makes it clear that as we not only hear God's word, but do them, we will be, we will be nourished and refreshed and fruitful and blessed. And what Jesus says here is, if we then hear his words and do them, we'll be like this. Verse, verse 48. We'll be like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. We'll be like a man then who stands strong in the midst of difficulty. 
Because the word of God will be alive in his heart. We'll be like a man then who has the storms and the wind and the waves crashing in the house around them. But inside he is refreshed and nourished and durable and stable because he's built his house on the rock of God's holy word. A word that continues to have a reviving and nourishing effect on his life. A word that continues to have a durable and stabling effect on his life. A word that brings fruit to his life, even as the oceans rage outside his house. My friends, I want to ask you, who amongst us does not want these descriptions that are described here to be a description of their lives? Who amongst us doesn't want to be stable and durable? Like a man who builds his house upon a rock. And when the storms come, he stands strong. Who amongst us doesn't want to be refreshed and nourished all the way through their lives? Who amongst us doesn't want to be fruitful and flourishing, ensuring that in whatever we do, we'll be blessed and know the joy and grace and contentment of the Lord? Who doesn't want those things? Well, Jesus himself right here tells us how to position ourselves for those things. And it comes through coming to him, hearing his words, and doing them. Friends, I want to ask you then, just to close, just two questions. And the first is this. How are you going at sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his words? If these words bring such life to our soul, if these words can bring have a reviving effect on our soul, then how are you going at daily positioning yourself by his feet to listen to these words so they can wash over you like a cool water on a hot day? How are you going with that? You know, it's so easy when we're under pressure. And there's so many things going on outside that we feel like we haven't got time to spend time with God's word. Ironically, we have time for Facebook and Twitter and Netflix and TV, but we don't have time to spend in God's word. My friends, I want to encourage you. You don't have time not to. We so need his word. It's this word that will help us to be complete in all that we do. It's this word that will bring life to our souls. It's this word that will bring a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so how are you going? It's sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his words. And then number two, how are you going at applying his words? Of actually being doers of his Precious words. See, Jesus tells us in his scripture that apart from him, we can do nothing. And it's good to know that. It's good to know that in our minds that that's a reality. But we're not blessed in our knowing, are we? We're blessed in our doing. When we realize, Lord, it's true. Apart from you, I can do nothing. So, Lord, did you help me? And would you aid me in my life? Lord, I need you more than anything. Jesus tells us in his word that it's so important that we not forsake meeting together. 
Why? Well, because if we meet together, then we'll spur one another on and we'll hear others singing around us and we'll hear the preached word and we'll hear the prayers of the saints and our lives will be revived and helped and aided as a result. It's good to know that. But we won't be blessed unless we do that. Unless we actually, in a non-negotiable way, commit to, I'm meeting with the saints. Why? Because I need it. I need to be around his word. I need to be around these songs. I need to be around these truths. I so easily drift away, as the Bible tells us we all do. And so I need to ground myself each and every week in God's word and with the saints. It's good to know that this is the way it works. But we're not blessed in our knowing, we're blessed in our doing. And Jesus tells us himself that his word is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. This word alone can have a reviving effect on our soul. It's good to know that. But it doesn't mean anything if all that happens is our Bible then collects dust on the shelf. We're not blessed in our knowing that it can have an effect. We're blessed on spending time with it and we see that it does have an effect. My friends, how then is your applying of his words going? True knowledge is just a prelude to action. But it is our action that truly blesses and aids us in the end. And so if you're struggling in any way with knowing, hearing the word of God and applying the word of God, then allow grace motivated change to, to take place for you today. My friend, there is no greater treasure that I think a pastor can give his flock than this word. It's the greatest treasure. It's a treasure that you all have in their homes. Hear it and apply it because his word will set you free. My friends, what a sermon on a level this is, isn't it? The kingdom of God is so different to what we would naturally think it to be. It's so different from the health and wealth gospel and all that that falsely advertises to us. It's so different from the kingdom of kingdom of the world. So different to the, what the world values and applauds and uh, lies to us that if you just have this, you'll be happy. No, it's so different to that. And yet as we walk in this kingdom, We can indeed walk along a path that is lined with joy and peace and gladness and contentment, true blessedness. And incredibly, he's called you and he's called me to come and walk with him in it. So my friends, may we make this path then our own. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, not then getting distracted to the left or to the right. But fixing our eyes on Jesus, may we walk with him in this kingdom of God with all our might. For at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. To be in his presence is the greatest thing of all. And as we walk with him in this kingdom, that's what we get to enjoy. So may we hear his words and may we apply his words. And may this blessing then be our own. Let's pray. Jesus, I do thank you for your clear words to our souls. I thank you for the way you speak to us with such direction and leadership and shepherding of our lives. Lord, there is no way, no way at all that you leave your disciples guessing what it is we're to do. You could not be clearer. 
So, Lord, would you help us to hear your word this morning? Would you help us to heed your word this morning? And, Lord, as we close, would you help us to fix our eyes afresh on you? Lord, we cannot do this by ourselves. But through you, we can do all things. So, Lord, would you be our vision? Would you help us to once again firmly fix our eyes on you and then dig down deep into you? Not looking to the right nor the left, but ensuring that you're always our vision. In Jesus' name, amen.